0: Okay, you ready?
1: Oh, I'm absolutely ready. Yeah, I can't really read my laptop there. No, we're all good. Okay,
0: okay. I'm, I'm there. I'm with you. Okay, Bruce, have you ever seen the film 2001: A Space Odyssey?
1: I, I have indeed. I loved it.
0: You, you really liked it?
1: Yeah, it was one of my all-time favorite films.
0: Oh, is that true? Yeah. Oh, what do you like about it?
1: Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, the cinematography is pretty neat. Uh, I, yeah, I like the way it's shot, and also just like the trippy, trippy ending is pretty incredible.
0: Oh, it's pretty trippy, isn't it? Yeah it's i i find it quite tough going personally
1: uh it's hard to f- mm, i think the themes are easy to f- follow but like the ending because it's got so many interpretations
0: well you know how the movie starts with the whole bit with a bunch of apes that are that yeah. are played by human actors that are sort of jumping around and going like whoo, whoo, uh-huh and yeah yeah it's all it's all crazy and uh uh-huh. and, and good um <laughs> crazy and good uh yeah um and they like smack each other and stuff yeah um, but the key part when the mysterious big black monolith appears. Yep. Um, it's in the middle of their camp and the apes go absolutely nuts. Because it looks super alien and they've never seen anything like it. And they're like, oh god, what is this? Um, and eventually one, one of them reaches out and touches it. Mm-hmm. And after that point, um, you see the apes learning to use like bones as weapons. Um, and they attack their neighbouring tribe. Am I getting this right?
1: it sounds very familiar, yeah.
0: Yeah, and then, and then all of a sudden it's like, bam, cut to exploring space. Humans, thousands of years in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Specifically 2001. Uh-huh. If you can believe it.
1: I never made that connection, I'm not going to lie. That's kind of embarrassing. Yeah, that's, no
0: that's actually, that's why they called it that. <laughs> <laughs> So the implication being that the big black monolith caused like a big jump in human evolution or ape evolution into humans, yeah, or like encouraged them Uh to like get to the stage of exploring space, or even sort of like made humans as we know them. Do you sort of see where I'm going? Um, I, I get your drift there, yeah. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to ask the question, what exactly is that monolith? Not the actual one built by aliens and stuff, but the idea is what makes us different from the apes? What makes us human? I'm Phil Sansom, this is Apex. Yeah, welcome to Apex. Uh, It's a new podcast for CamFM, all about stories from around the world that make us question what it means to be human. And we've got four episodes coming out once a fortnight. Be warned, if you don't like animals, if you don't like stories about animals, this might not be the place for you. Particularly stories about monkeys, because we've got them coming out of our ears. But don't worry, it's not going to be an hour of monkeys. It's not going to be anywhere close to four hours of monkeys. We've got all sorts, um, even coming up today. But first, this from the show's roving reporter, Laura Weston. Hi, my name's Laura and I'm going around asking people what makes us human. What do you think makes us human? Um, the ability to feel emotions?
1: It's funny it's it's cool. being a rational animal and stuff, man? Like drinking alcohol, despite knowing we are going to hangover. Um, our ability to rationalise and love and, uh, yeah.
2: That I
3: don't know, something about our social structure. Art and culture. What
0: do you
2: think makes us human? Quite a tricky one.
1: Uh, compassion.
0: Uh, what makes us human is are compassion.
1: The tube. No <laughs> other animals have made a tube. The London tube. It's <laughs> f***ing sick. Like, just think about that. Nowhere uh, else has got trains that go underground. Ants. I was going to say ants have tunnels, though. They have tunnels, but they... T- doesn't have Wi-Fi, does it?
0: <laughs> a lot of good answers, but our topic for today...
2: I'd say language, probably, is the most distinctive feature.
0: ...is language. Hello. Hola. Bonjour. Ciao. Good day, mate. Konichiwa. Ni With me in the studio today, Bruce Miller. Hello. Thanks for coming, Bruce. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Um, why don't you give a little introduction about yourself? Oh. No, you don't have to. All right, this is ad-libbed. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, I'm Bruce, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm very ill. <laughs> okay, we just won't do that. i are Bruce,
0: that. and I'm very ill.
1: <laughs> I'm Bruce, and if you don't know me already, you know, more shame
0: on you. <laughs> 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 Quite right. Um, so, yeah, language. But first, before we get on to language and what makes us human, I want to talk about this noise. Uh,
2: uh, uh,
1: uh. <laughs> it's taken me aback slightly um as far as i could tell there's there's a human there and there, then there, there is there s- is some other creature um but it's oh. interesting there's
0: sort of call, call and response going on which i picked up on god you figured it out very well i'm impressed so we've got that we've got that but that's not where the story actually begins it starts in washington dc in the smithsonian's national zoo around about the late 80s and it starts with bonnie the orangutan
3: Bonnie, yes, from Bonnie and Clyde.
0: This is Adriano Lemera. He's a primate biologist who's been working on the stuff in this story for a good while now.
3: I'm fascinated by this idea that we can use these um, incredibly intelligent and, and, and charming species as a...
0: Specifically, orangutans. He's talking about orangutans.
3: Species as a window um, to what may have been happening in our own lineage about 10 million years ago.
0: Now's the time I should also introduce Serge Vich.
3: I'm Serge Vich. I'm
0: a... uh, he's also a biologist focusing on primates.
3: Who was my PhD supervisor at the time. That was Adriano again.
0: I know their voices sound kind of similar, bear with. Anyway, back to the story.
3: Everything started with one orangutan.
0: That would be Bonnie. Uh, Bonnie's a female orangutan born in 1978. To all appearances, ordinary. But...
2: They were walking around in the, in the enclosure and, and heard... Whistles and they were like, wow, that's strange. Is there somebody there? And then they looked and it was Bonnie sitting in a corner whistling. Whistling?
0: Well, actually, not quite like that. More like.
1: Yeah, not, not quite as impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, she's an orangutan. I, I reckon <laughs> give her a break. Um, yeah,
1: fair enough. Was that game. clip at the beginning, something whistling?
0: or? No, that wasn't whistling. Well, we'll come back to that, I promise. Okie dokes. Bonnie's Keepers actually noticed her doing her whistling in the late 80s, but Serge didn't actually hear about it until two decades later in 2007. And even then, it was just through a chance encounter.
2: A colleague of mine, uh, when I was still working in the US, worked a lot with the Things there and one day she came up to me and said listen to this and she had a little video of um bonnie whistling and i was totally surprised
0: because well you see before bonnie scientists had absolutely no idea that apes were able to whistle like this in particular bonnie was doing something that they assumed apes straight up couldn't do copy a human sound
1: that's pretty incredible actually are
0: you impressed now
2: i am So I was very, very excited by hearing this and then almost directly jumped on a plane to Washington to do some experiments there uh, to to test what what Bonnie could actually do.
0: But to understand why it's so special that Bonnie could mimic her keepers, you have to go even further back because what this story is really about is, of course, language, how it evolved, how we learned to speak. And the fact that we can speak is really special. Speaking is, is complicated stuff. And scientists have realized that we must have evolved a lot in a short time to be able to speak, and they've been trying to study how that happened for a while now. But all their studies, they had one thing in common.
3: Scientists were resorting to uh, lineages that are way more distant from ours. Like
0: songbirds, elephants, whales, even, even seals, all of which are animals that happily chat away to each other. But humans are apes, right? So you would expect apes to be the chattiest of all next to us. And yet, not so much.
3: And so it's really puzzling. How come the animals that are closest to us with more than 95% of genetic resemblance uh, don't do this stuff that uh, way further lineages do?
0: Or at least that was what the scientists thought. But as they began to study groups of apes more and more in the wild, they gradually realized, hey, these guys aren't quiet. They're just shy around us when they're alone. They make all kinds of noises.
3: Uh, Calls such as laughter and crying and screaming and whimpering, which are very reflexive, very automatic, uh, very uncontrollable sometimes. Um...
0: So apes talk to each other all the time. And that's not all they
3: do. By studying several populations we started to see that some calls were not present in some populations and present in others. So a mother in one certain population will call her infant with a particular call but in another population they will be doing so in the exact same context with another call and some other mother in some other population won't call her infant at all.
0: So not only can apes speak to each other in their ape way, they also have their own ape languages. And Adriano, doing his thing, going around looking at apes in zoos, he could confirm that.
3: We started to report a similar variation in captivity as what we, as with what we had found in the wild.
0: Here comes the tortured metaphor, you ready? All right. Alright, so you can sort of think about how speaking evolved as a metal chain with animals at one end and humans at the other, okay? And the trick to figuring out what those chain links are that connect the two is to look for clues in animals that are out there now. The clues to how speaking evolved, they went from birds and whales, which, very, very chatty. And the next clue was apes making calls in the wild. And the next clue is them making calls in zoos that are completely different from each other. And that was the state of play in 2007 when Serge heard about Bonnie. And as soon as he did, he realized this is the next clue. Orangutans that can learn sounds from us.
2: And it's very likely that she just picked it up from, from uh, animal care staff who were working there and, and whistling while they, they are doing their
1: work. Well, <laughs> I don't understand why the chain has to... <laughs> It's three
0: clues. It's a very short chain. <laughs> okay. All right, there's more, cl- there's more clues coming. Okay, okay, more okay. Clues. There's more clues coming. The chain is going to get bigger. Right. Here we go. <laughs> Serge says Bonnie wasn't trying to get their attention or anything.
2: Yeah, so they didn't uh, try to teach her or something. It's just something she started to pick up.
0: There was actually another orangutan in there with her called Inda who made the same whistling sounds, but Inda died before they could make any recordings of her or measurements with her. The point is... The Wild Bonnie was the first orangutan they found who could whistle. She was far from the only one.
3: In a lot of zoos, you, you find orangutans that have learned how to whistle. And they have not been taught, you know, they just are chilling out on their uh, enclosures. And the staff goes about whistling away how when you know while providing them food or cleaning the housing. And and we've at least described some 10 orangutans who have learned either directly from humans or from other whistling orangutans how to whistle. And so that was great because whistling depends on, on the articulators, on the lips, on airflow, on tongue control. And these things are for us important when we produce consonants. Our consonants are also dependent on uh, the control over the jaw, the lips, the tongue, the airflow.
0: There you go. That is the next chain link that I was talking about. If orangutans can mimic our whistle, that means they've got tons more control over their voice systems, and specifically what's called their vocal folds, than scientists previously thought. Of course, it's not enough for science just to record Bonnie whistling. They had to prove that she had this fine voice control. So what they did is they stood in front of her cage and they whistled at her. And they tried to get her to whistle back. And then if she did, they would do a different whistle. If she could copy that, if she could copy more than one whistle, then they knew she had the voice control they were looking for.
2: And she performed very, very well on both of those. So if we whistled twice, she would whistle twice. If we whistled for a, a, a long duration, she would whistle for a long duration and, and vice versa. So it showed that she could not only learn.
0: Not only learn, but have flexibility in the sounds she could make. This really started
2: the beginning of a lot more research into uh, coal production in a in a what often was thought of as a very silent and uninteresting ape in terms of their calls.
0: They published their paper about Bonnie, and it was well received. And some of the consequences were unexpected.
3: We actually it was very interesting. We started to get uh, emails from these caretakers from other zoos saying, "But you know." Uh, this is, this is okay, but my orangutan whistles much better.
0: Not from all over the world, but from a few zoos in Europe and North America. Just because those places communicate really closely with each other.
1: Uh, So if there were so many, why didn't anyone know about this before? Well, you see, some
0: people did know.
3: Caretakers who spend their lives with these animals, they know that they, some of them do odd stuff.
0: Making weird noises, whistling, stuff like that. And while the caretakers knew about this stuff, the scientists who were busy trying to figure out how language evolved, they had absolutely no idea. I think they, they were surprised,
2: but they might not have realised how significant it was in, in, terms of, in terms of
0: research. Well, given that there were apparently so many orangutans doing this, the next question for me is...
3: Why aren't whole populations doing it?
0: Like groups of orangutans in the wild. We've been studying them for ages. Why haven't we heard them make these whistling sounds before? I propose,
1: Phil, I hypothesize that there's no one in the jungles uh, whistling, so the orang-
0: can- orangutans cannot copy them. You know what, Bruce?
3: I think you might be
0: right. It could be a matter of
3: motivation.
0: Like mimicking their human
3: human keepers or the humans they meet? Yes. Yes, exactly.
0: It's actually not so far off what humans do.
3: Within our own social networks, we tend to pick specific people uh, as our role models. We look up to these people so we start behaving uh, as they do. And so um, it's good to start thinking in that sense of to level the field and, and try to put ourselves in their own position.
0: So Adriano said that the orangutans in the wild probably would be able to whistle just like Bonnie. If only they had someone whistling to them, just like you said, Bruce.
3: Ah, I've got it, okay. And so I really think uh, that that could be a next step. It's trying to understand what do they care about.
0: Anyway, back to Adriana Lemera and his colleagues. Like I said, they started to get lots of emails from other zoos, each one claiming to have a better whistling orangutan. Bit of a a zoo rivalry going on here. So they decide, hey, why not go on sort of a treasure
3: hunt? Treasure hunt
0: all around America and Europe, visiting all of them.
3: We're trying to uh, go and visit all the orangutans that are known to whistle.
0: And that's exactly what
2: they did. I think there were were about five or six or something that we heard about, and and,
3: um, at least 10 orangutans.
0: Let's say between five and 10. Either way, an epic journey from zoo to zoo, recording each orangutan as they went. Somehow along the way, Clint Eastwood got involved.
3: (laughs) Sorry, what? Right, okay. He um he had a sidekick which was an orangutan.
0: Not not involved with Adriano, but in the film Every Way But Loose in it was is from 1978. Clint's character's sidekick was called Clyde uh, and was played by Manis the orangutan. It was a successful film but the critics hated it and one actually said that the only decent part went to Manis. <laughs> We're not quite sure what happened to him. Um but apparently he could whistle too. So that was a minor pit stop on their quest to find all the whistling orangutans they could, and the quest eventually led to Tilda. Tilda? Tilda. Tilda. Tilda.
3: She lives in uh, in the Zoo of Cologne in Germany.
0: A female orangutan, also known for whistling.
3: She She's a very old lady. She's uh, nearly 50, and she's still wild-born. So we don't know where she came from, because she was brought from, you know, probably someone shot her mother and and uh, poached her, literally. And we only have records of her in Europe after she was an adolescent.
0: Adriano and his colleagues decided they should check it out.
3: And we went down there.
0: Down to Cologne to go see her make her noises to figure out is this the same thing? And the zookeeper sort of encourages her with some food.
3: Suddenly she started to do these other bizarre, bizarre stuff, which we instantly knew was completely uh, strange. And we were
0: not. What's the strange stuff he's talking about there? Well, she made some calls that were like human vowels, and some were like human consonants. Ooh, it's like
3: a uh,
2: ah-ah. It's a a fairly low uh,
0: sound. That's Serge Vich again, very generously imitating Tilda for us.
2: I'm terribly bad at at doing sounds of the animals I I, I study.
1: I think he's slightly too harsh on himself, to be honest. Yeah, well, it's
0: hard for us to tell. (laughs) (laughs) Sounded like an orangutan to me. Uh,
3: So basically, what we were astonished about was that Tilda was doing these consonant and vowel like calls. Uh, But what was most striking was that she was uh, doing these calls and at the same time alternating, closing, and opening her mouth really quickly, Um, which is basically what we do while we're speaking. Uh, In average, we open and close our mouths five times per second.
0: And each time we do, we usually manage to say one vowel and one consonant. So most people speak at a rate of about five vowels and five consonants per second. Pretty fast compared to any other animal that speaks. If we're still thinking about links in the chain, remember that? Links in a chain from not talking to talking. This is definitely 100% the next link. Adriano puts it better, actually.
3: If you want to understand how a car works or a computer works, probably the best way of doing so and understanding how it works is probably to, to, to unbuild, to piece apart the car or the computer and try to put it back together.
0: And of course, you can't literally take apart a thing that took millions of years to happen. So they use stuff like what Tilda does. Those are the pieces. But the next piece they found... Blue Tilda completely out of the water. Coming up after the break... Welcome back, this is Apex on CAM FM 97.2. Back to the treasure hunt. After Tilda, the next breakthrough, which is actually the most recent one, was in Indianapolis Zoo. The breakthrough's name was Rocky.
3: And Rocky did this vocalization, uh, which. After 10 years working with wild orangutans, we had never heard.
0: Different from the calls they make in the wild, different from the whistling, different from Tilda and her quick moving mouth.
3: Even the, even the one that could be this, the most similar is, is completely, significantly different. Really, the acoustics are very distinct. The way that these vocalizations sound are very distinct. We were a bit baffled because as soon, we, ju- we just had to hear it once when we were like, hey, wait a minute, we've never heard an orangutan doing this. And that is the noise that I played
0: to introduce the segment. Personally, I heard it. I thought it just sounded like a loud groaning. But Adriano made a different connection.
3: We called what Rocky does, Wookiees. It really looks like what Chewbacca does. So it's this...
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's
1: a real scientist there, everybody. (laughs) Uh, A George Lucas fan, clearly. (laughs) You know... Actually, that, it was a very good impression.
0: It was really good. Now let's let's hear Rocky again. Chewbacca? Whoa. Rocky? Chewbacca? Whoa. Rocky? Chewbacca? Whoa. Yeah, I don't see it myself. But Adriano is the important one here, so he can have the last word on what they're called. And he says that, like Bonnie and Tilda, Rocky isn't just a one-trick monkey. He can actually control the sounds he makes, these Wookies really, really well.
3: In actually several aspects, because he has real-time fine control over his voice.
0: Of course, by now we know that he can't just play the tape of Rocky to a bunch of scientists in a room and shout, listen to this. It'll impress us, but it won't impress them. He needed to prove that Rocky was special. And that was a two-step process.
3: The first one was we had to show that what Rocky's doing is really different than whatever other orangutan does. So
0: So they used some uh, sound analyzing software to look at the sound waves and sure enough, yep, totally different to anything before.
3: Our second step was to uh, come up with this imitation game, uh, which we call Do As I Do.
0: Where like before, the scientists would go up to the cage, wearing their white lab coat, old stereotypical scientist, and go, ah, trying to get Rocky to do the same thing back. That's what we're hearing in our sound clip of Rocky, the Do As I Do game, with the person going, ah, and then Rocky copying.
3: Great apes are really good at this. Uh, they, they love to do it. Uh, they really quickly understand that what's the, what's the whole goal of the game.
0: And it worked.
3: And whenever our human demonstrator went up or down with her voice, Rocky matched this, so he also went up or low with his voice.
0: So that's how they knew he had such good voice control.
3: Was that you doing that? No, actually, it was my wife.
0: But the control over his voice that Rocky had, that was the breakthrough. If he could mimic a human making so many different noises, that means he could learn new calls in his call repertoire.
3: And if so... This could have been the very first stage of language evolution.
0: Having the capacity to learn new calls.
3: Where this capacity just kept on expanding and growing, where they first learned some calls and then they learned the double number of those and then more and more and more.
0: Like, they started with ah, and then maybe ah and ah, and maybe ah and ah and ma, and then ah and ah and ma and ba.
3: Up to a moment like today where our species is at least able to learn 600 different uh, sounds.
0: You feel open mic night. At the end. <laughs> I'll be doing my show. Uh,
3: <laughs> and you may ask, well, why? You know, you're out in a pub with your friend, and you ask, "Hey, guy, tell me in a sentence why this matters." Well, it matters because if if human children uh, were not able of of doing so, they would not, they would never have learned have learned the vowels of their own mother tongue. So to learn different vowels. Uh, in whatever language, you will also need to control your voice.
0: Before they started assembling these links in the chain, which, as you might remember, the whistling, the mouth moving, the voice control, and the learning that Rocky has, before all that, scientists had no explanation for how we could speak. None at all. It looked like somewhere on the way from great apes to us, something had happened, something big, that made us all of a sudden able to talk, and they called that a hopeful monster mutation.
3: Hopeful monster mutations, where suddenly there's a mutation that, like you say, bow, it makes you speak, or, you know, someday a chimp-like animal was in the forest, hit his head against the tree and started talking. Those are very hard scenarios to explain.
0: Okay, uh, imagine it like this. A mutation, that's like a DNA mutation, and that changes something about us, right? Right. And it's called a hopeful monster mutation because the idea is that it was a totally random mutation that suddenly let us talk right. But but if you've got a mutation that's completely at random, it could have changed absolutely anything about us. It could have, like, uh, turned our knees backwards and then we couldn't walk. Or <laughs> it could have put our noses on our butts.
1: Right. Okay. Gotcha. Um, so it's a, it's a lucky yeah monster mutation
0: yeah you get the idea lucky hopeful it could have been any of those terrible terrible things each of which would have made us some sort of like stumbling unwieldy useless some kind bit a monster and so it's incredibly incredibly rare one in many 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 i don't know how many don't ask me how many but it's incredibly rare that a mutation like that could have been the right one for helping us to speak and that's why it's hopeful hopeful that the mutation would actually have been useful instead of rubbish But they had that view. They had this hopeful monster view. And then everything changed when Adriano and his colleagues started finding the missing links in the chain.
3: And now that we have, now we can disregard these highly improbable scenarios.
0: And instead, what they describe is speech evolving much more slowly and gradually.
3: Uh, There is a window of of continuity in terms of evolution for the emergence of, of speech in our own
0: lineage. Not all at once, like pow, but bit by bit by bit.
1: I've got it. That's a lot easier to to believe really, isn't it? Than a freak event,
0: a fluke. It does make more sense, doesn't it? I I, I can't imagine, I just never, I never thought about it like that, but it makes more sense that it's so gradual, right? Otherwise
1: one day you'd have an orangutan being born that could just talk and no, no other orangutan yeah. could.
0: And all the other orangutans would be like...
1: The little orangutan that could.
0: Yeah, yeah, except he'd be like, is how, it- how is everyone in the tribe today? And they'd be like, ma. <laughs> ma. Ba. Ma. Ma. Ba. <laughs> and he'd be like, oh, forgot for
3: There's sake. a Disney
1: movie in there somewhere. <laughs> it's quite sad, really.
3: <laughs> now that we will pursue a more gradual scenario for language evolution, I think we will start being able to of making uh, way more interesting questions.
0: Like, they just got up to Rocky on this chain of how language evolved. Rocky meaning they got up to control over the voice and learning new sounds. On the chain, what came next? What was the next step?
3: Well, probably the next step is to piece together vowels and consonants. Start making up syllabus and words.
0: And then once they figured out the the what came next, they still want to figure out the why. Why did that come next?
3: Why... Did our ancestors started to combine vowels and consonants for the first time?
0: It's a good question.
3: And, and orangutans do this all the time. It's it's an alarm call that they do when uh, when disturbed or in face of a potential predator or a human that they don't know.
0: And that's that's really the next step for Adriano and all his buddies. Where does this go next? To bring it back to uh, the the topic
1: of the podcast, <laughs> are we saying that? Um, orangutans represent an organism that can almost talk, and therefore what we consider to be unique about us that we can talk and chat to each other is is actually not so unique or is it still yeah. unique because we represent the apex <laughs> the, <Right. laughs> is it or is it that we represent the end of a, like a, this chain chain of events so therefore we are quite
0: special and unique I see us as I see us as less special, cause you've got these these you've got apes that we didn't we uh, originally we thought they were grunting at each other, and now they're on the way to speaking. They can sort of half talk or a quarter talk or whatever it is. But it's a step, and it just sort of means like we're we're part way there, okay, or, but... or they're part way there, and we're just further along. We're not uh-huh. we're not special. We're just one extreme.
1: I've got you. Um but so we're, maybe it's not that we're it's not that it's not special though the gradual series of events could still be is almost more special than just some fluke that the lucky
0: mutation monster mutation would represent. Um Yeah, that that you could definitely think about it that way too. Okay. I don't know. I th- I thought it was cool. Human human speaking that wasn't that was a gradual thing and I think it was cool that they're starting to find these apes that are like halfway there. This is actually very similar to what happened when I asked Adriano the million dollar question. What makes us human?
3: That's a very good point. I believe that what makes us human is really our capacity for spoken language in a way because it's very hard for us to uh, look at anything in our environment that would be possible uh, without spoken language. We just have to look at our relationships. the The most basic tool that we that we maybe use has been the result of several steps of uh, social transmission and, and invention, which uh, would probably be very difficultly maintained and preserved without uh, spoken language. With that said, I do believe that we are, in a way, a super ape, and that is to mean that we we are we are still ape. somehow our evolution just really took off in a rocket-like way uh, because some special conditions that we are still trying to understand came together it sort of uh, threw us into a wormhole of of evolution and we came out from the other side um, over this period of ten million years and and, uh, whereas uh, maybe uh, the communication system of other great apes stayed uh, relatively uh, rudimentary. Um, our system just just opened the doors to, to what we can do.
0: And I should let you know there's two species of orangutan in the world. One's endangered, the other's critically endangered. So not good. If you're any more excited about this amazing, beautiful, majestic animal, they're really, really beautiful, than you were half an hour ago, definitely consider donating. There's loads of charities. The the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, um, the Sumatran Orangutan Society. They're always looking for help. Um, I don't want to get too... um, environmental activist here but maybe you could avoid products that contain palm oil because the palm oil industry is pretty devastating to orangutan habitats and to top off the show we've got the world-renowned selwyn college whistling choir of 2016 performing their version of the lion sleeps tonight